We now return from our technical difficulties for another LocoCast episode. Technical hey. difficulties? We've been having technical difficulties. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Technical that's difficulties. That's what we're calling it. Hello, welcome to LocoCast.net. I am your host, Rick Harding, here with Craig Maloney. How are we doing, Craig? I'm feeling like a lazy butt because it's been a while since we've not done this episode. <laughs> technical difficulties. Yes, there we go. <laughs> No, I you know so we want to talk about this because um, we went to Pi Ohio. We did some conference stuff. We've met up at Mug. It's not like we haven't chatted, we haven't interacted, and all that. But I realized we haven't done a local cast, and I got thinking, why haven't we done one? And it dawned on me that I really don't know what's going on in the Ubuntu world that much anymore. I haven't really been paying much attention. Have you? No, I I, I did do the. Honorary burn Honorek to a USB key and play with it. And I've come to the conclusion that it still needs some more work. Um, <laughs> to be expected. And it, it doesn't look that much different, but man, the changes that are in the settings menu is, are pretty sweeping. It's definitely got more of a Macintosh-like feel than ever. Uh-oh. Don't if you can believe that. You're going to set people aflame with that stuff. Yeah, well, it's also great because you can't really change the theme that much. So, hello, Mac. <laughs> um, and and for whatever reason, startup programs got promoted to the settings menu. The You know the power menu where they yeah. had system settings before, which yeah. I thought was kind of crap? Well, they promoted some more things under there, which are also kind of... Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, more, I don't know. More is better. Yeah. Honestly, I, I have no idea what's going on. And then I realized, to a certain extent, I, I don't know that I care a whole lot. Um, I, I'm still running Arch. Um, I, I did set up an Ubuntu machine. I finally got Natty on a box. Work gave me a new fancy desktop with 16 gigs of RAM and a multi-terabyte hard drive and stuff as a new developer machine at work. Now, is so, that server? Well, so <laughs> technically it's my workstation, although I take my laptop in and I dock it and I develop on that. So this okay. this developer workstation is going to be my virtual machine slash test server, because right. I, I end up playing with a lot more stuff than a lot of the other devs, and I, I've been dying for some kind of hardware to throw up multiple machines on to test some things. And with this box, I might be able to do some of it. The hard drive's nothing to you know run home about, but having 16 gigs of RAM, having a quad core machine means I should be able to run, you know, maybe a few VirtualBox machines and, and network them up and do some testing with some things. So that might right. be interesting. Um, yeah, I'm still in love with Ubuntu Server. I think it's it's some of the best stuff out there. And I know that my friends who run CentOS are probably going to find me and string me up at some later <laughs> date, as of yet to be determined. But yeah. I don't know. I, as far as I'm concerned, the server stuff is pretty solid. Um, right. The desktop stuff, it, it's, it feels like it's getting there. Um, I saw a post by Mark Shuttleworth about some new stuff with the, the Dash, is that whatever they're calling yeah, it. Yeah, that just came out before this episode, and I peeked at the screenshot a little bit. But yeah. Again, you know, I, I know. Had, I had Natty <laughs> for about 40 minutes how long it took me to get all my system updates, my app get upgrade uh, command after the fresh install. And after that, I never saw the, the GNOME Unity interface again, so... I for those forty minutes, I don't know how you people do it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure that you know what whatever the LTS is going is called, and I don't remember the code name. It's probably Peppy Pooping Pem Penguin for all I know, <laughs> or or Pinoceros uh, or Patuli or 
I don't think we, we have a name it. yet, but you know, yeah. I I thought it, I thought they had it, but I don't remember what it was. Anyways, we're still we're still working on Honoric, and oh boy, is my <laughs> my, my professional opinion on that. All right, well, it, it's early; they got time and everything. But the one realization I did have is that I have been doing a lot of hacking lately, a lot of code stuff, and I gave my talk down at Pi Ohio, and which was awesome, I have to say, being an audience member. There were some good talks on at Pi Ohio this year, and and we'll we'll do a recap of that here towards the end of the show. But so I got thinking, really, what the reason we haven't done a local cast is I haven't sat down and looked, made a list of items to talk about because I haven't had a lot of Ubuntu items to talk about. So I got thinking, why don't we just do some more developer-related stuff? The password episode that we did seemed to go over really well. We got more feedback from that episode than I think about any other one we've done so far. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you very much for everyone who gave out comments, both yeah. in person and in, in email and other otherwise. Yeah, the smoke signals it. were awesome. <laughs> yeah, because um, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to go over that well, but I trusted Craig. Craig said, let's do it. And I'm like, I don't know. It seems awfully technical and awfully you know, limited and all this stuff, the audience and things. And, and it, no, we had several people pull this aside and was like, hey, I love that episode. That was good stuff. So I figured let's do some more developer-related stuff and see where this goes. So let's talk about events real quick. Sure. We got a few coming up. Ohio Linux Fest is right around the corner, and I probably should have made my hotel reservations by now. You don't have your hotel reservations by now? No, I've been. You're going to be staying over in the Hilton. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'll call. I'll call tomorrow. I promise. Um, yeah, the Drury is definitely the way to go because yeah, you get free drinks. That's where I always cheap. go. I like that it's attached and everything. That works out well. Well, that's what's really nice about Ohio Linux Fest is that all the hotels in the area. Um, there's like three major hotels that are all hooked up to the convention center. So you don't necessarily have to go outside. You don't have to take shawls or all that other yeah. kind of stuff. You just have to hoof it right. uh, down to the convention center. But it's a really nice convention. A lot of really good hallway conversation in that. It's generally uh, geared more toward the beginner. Although yeah. I did get some insight or uh, insight and uh, inspiration to the Arduino world, which I've been playing around with ever since which has been quite nice. Yeah. No, it, it is. It is very geared for the beginner. It's a, it's a good mission and all that. But a lot of people still go and hang out. And the years that I haven't gone, I've regretted not going based on the conversation afterwards. So I think um, I haven't heard of They opened up the open source booths registration yet. I haven't seen anything. I'm not sure. Okay, I, we'll I just heard that. recently that they, they opened up the registration proper. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have the free registration, uh, which is, you know, anyone can come in. You just have to register. Otherwise, they charge you five bucks at the door. I guess it's a going rate for it uh, if you don't yeah. register prior. Yeah, and then you have the $65 sponsorship and then the $350. My company likes paying for stuff and <laughs> yes. sending me to conferences package, which gets you a T-shirt and lunch and a few other goodies on the site. Yeah. No, I think um, I think we're gonna try to get a table and set up some mics and stuff. And uh, last year we did a couple of interviews there. I think we talked some from guys from the Ohio group, and we talked to um, the guy from the, the laptop System Seventy Six. System Seventy Six, who was very awesome. So I think we're gonna try to expand that. Actually, get a full table and do some more interviews and stuff because I think that's where my interest, as far as spending time, would more lie than. Than a lot of the conference stuff, but you know we'll see how that goes. It'll be very cool. Anyways, what what do you got the dates on that in front of you? Uh, September 9th through eleventh, if my memory is serving me properly. 
probably uh, should have sometimes had it does <laughs> yeah we should probably shouldn't we uh, the site is ohiolinux.org and the dates are we'll cut this out in post uh, September 9th through 11th 2011 yeah so good stuff uh, next up is a new one to our radar and that's because I got asked to speak at it and I was like oh really and that's One Dev Day Detroit, which is Friday, November 4th, has some keynotes. And the 5th are the, they call them all-day learning sessions. I'm guessing those are the talks. I'm, I'm not 100% sure the schedule's not out yet, although they do have a lot of speaker information out there. And uh, there's some local superheroes out there. Um, so it should be interesting to go to. I haven't been before. And uh, so I'll be going down talking about some Python, um, why readability of your code matters, um, while I'm down there. It's definitely going to be cool. I think uh, Kevin Danger is going to be there. Um, Diane Marsh. Folks that we know from, from our various outings and whatnot. Uh, yeah. in, the, in the Detroit area and that. So it's definitely cool to see something like this uh, take shape. And I'm looking forward to going to it. Yeah, and it's, the pricing isn't bad. I think it was $30 for registration. 35 maybe. Um, registration is now open. It opened up this week. So make sure you go hit it up. And that's one dev day Detroit.wordpress.com. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes. And it seems like it was only yesterday, but it's coming back up again. PyCon is having their call for presentations. Uh, that's going to be in March 2012, right? Yeah, out in California, getting some sun. Out in California. So, yeah, I'm, I'm strongly debating. I'm, I'm still not sure I'm worthy to, to talk at PyCon or whatever, but I'm. I'm do uh, it. I, I do it. Time. Do it. I've got time to waver and figure something out. Um, but yeah, no, um, I went last year for the first time. Unbelievable. Um, worth every minute and everything out there. Can't encourage you to do it enough. To go, you know, can't encourage you to go enough. And um, if you're thinking you might have a presentation to give, now's the time to do it. What's great is I really like their call. Said, hey, if you just got an idea but you're not sure about it, let our, you know, our, our presentation team know and they'll help you develop the idea so i thought that was kind of cool like rather than just throwing your presentation over the wall it could be like hey i'm thinking about doing something like this what do you guys think and people that are like pycon pros can be like that's interesting maybe if you took this twist to it it would be a worthy pycon presentation and so i like that they have some assistance there for uh potential speakers that's just awesome there's also, uh, on Twitter, one of the gentlemen, I don't remember his name offhand, was throwing out some really interesting ideas for what to present on. Doug Hellman, the guy yes. that did the Python module of the week, uh, he's been having a blast doing a hashtag, I think it's PyCon Talks I Want to See. Yes. And he's just been throwing out ideas, like, I want to see a talk on this and this and this and this and this. So definitely, I saw a couple other people getting involved with the same hashtag. So make sure you do a, a Twitter search. If you're thinking of doing a talk, do a uh, search on Twitter for that hashtag. And uh, you should find it, at least a dozen ideas or more already. So, And I'm sure we'll get a lot more as we get closer and closer to things. That just opened up this week.
All right, so since we're being a little more developer-focused, I wanted to introduce a segment here where we talk about interesting tools and libraries for developers to know about, things that have been happening in the news that are interesting and kind of give a little perspective as to why. And the very first one is Firefox 6 came out today. Uh, I think you're not supposed to use the version number anymore, right? There's just new Firefox today. Well, they're calling it 6, so... No, they are, but they're also talking about taking the version number out of the About page of the browser and trying to get it so that you're not, you know, you're not tracking the version number too much anymore. Oh, as opposed to Google's 14.0.9. whatever. Hey... I don't care. As long as this stuff keeps up to date, and I gotta say it was nice because on Arch I had the update was just there this morning, so we were already playing around with it. Um, nice. I'm still one waiting. Of the, yeah, one of the cool developer features in this one is a new thing in the dev tools called Scratchpad. And the idea of Scratchpad is that you can go into your little dev tools. This is not Firebug. This is the tools that are built into Firefox itself. They're working on adding these these cool new tools in there. It actually opens up a little, like, little plain, almost notepad-like little editor window. And you can write JavaScript in there. And what's interesting is that that JavaScript, when you run it, will interact with the web page you're on. So let's say you're on CNN and you're working on hacking on, let's say you wanted to work on some kind of grease monkey script to hide all the Apple news, one might say. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> You could actually load up CNN and the Scratchpad and start working within JavaScript to find elements, hide, you know, change your visibility, see how the reflow of the page happened, all this kind of stuff. All in reference to the page that you're currently on, they're also planning on letting this work. It works with extensions. So if you're working on a plugin or extension, you could actually let it interact with the variables and the content that is already in your extension and just play around with it. What's cool is you can save and load JavaScript files into that scratch pad. So I'm really excited as a developer to go, you know what? My coworker has a site that's doing this thing and it's not doing it in a good JavaScripty way. Let's say it's uh, doing an extra page load I don't think it needs to, or maybe it's not currently doing a nice hover effect where I think it should do a cool hover effect. What I could do is load up their site, open up my scratch pad, write the JavaScript that's required to implement this hover effect, save that file, and just email it to them. What's nice is that I don't have to get clone the guy's project. I don't have to set up a development server. I don't have to worry about launching the website and loading a test database and all the things you might need in order to test out somebody else's code. I can actually pull up his live site, write JavaScript against it, send it to him, and then he can load it up, he can test it, see what it does. And then if he likes it, he can take that code and it should really bootstrap him into getting it into his own JavaScript for his project. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, and yeah, I'm interested. I, in I this. know with with uh, with my JavaScript uh, endeavors and that, you know, they, they always say, you know, oh yeah, I just typed this into this little line. And it's like you type it into one itty bitty little line and hope to God that you get it right. And it's like, you know, it would be nice if you had something that was a little more editor friendly and such. So Yeah. And what's nice is there's work to get a full web-based editor in there. Um, there's some great posts about trying to... It'll hook into an IBM tool shoot, called something or other. Well, it almost gets into our other thing, too, where GitHub announced that they're in integrating Ace into their uh, their edit flow and that. So you don't necessarily... 
What's what's neat about that is that you don't have to clone the entire repo in that just to make a single, you know, one-line change. Let's say, you know, you, you've got some stupid readme file and someone managed to bork it up somehow. And you want to edit that particular file. You can just go ahead, go ahead and edit that file on the site, put the commit in, and you're good to go. You don't have to worry about, you know, downloading everything, which is yeah. really, really handy. And it's also got nice syntax highlighting. It's uh, Cloud9, I think is what... Well, That's it was Bespin, and then it went to Cloud9. Right, so the history, history of this was that um, a, a team started working on this... this basically web-based IDE called Bespin. It was going to hook into Git, and you could load your editor. and had It had, like, you know, keyboard shortcuts and commands. It was going to be a full-blown, like, editor environment. It went through a couple iterations. It was actually using Canvas to actually draw the text and things, and I think it went a little ways. And then it, it's just it's a huge project. One of the things they did to kind of make it more relevant was they made it into kind of like a tiny MCE editor where you could... Uh, load a Bespin editor like into a text area box on your own website and get line numbers and backgrounds and some syntax coloring for a few basic syntaxes and all that. Uh, eventually, it got turned into Skywriter, which was a Mozilla project, and it was kind of tied into some, you know, uh, taken out of the Bespin thing and kind of turned into Skywriter. Uh, eventually, uh, Cloud9 wanted to build an IDE, a web-based ed uh, editing tool set, and they wanted to use Skywriter, but they're having all kinds of problems integrating it in. So what they ended up doing was is it ended up getting turned into um, this new Ace editor. So it's, it's kind of like the offspring or whatever of the Skywriter, so it's now in its third generation. And that's going to be more tied in as a, as a whole editor setup. Now, GitHub allows you to pull that in, and basically on any file that you load up in GitHub's web interface, there's now an edit button in the top right corner of it. And when you click that, you can actually edit the page, and you get the syntax highlighting, which is great for documentation that's in Markdown or reshutter text and stuff. It'll actually give you a preview of the rendered output so that you can kind of see what it's going to look like. Like you say, my thing with this is that I think it's great for documentation, um, if you want to reword something or add a bit of documentation or whatnot, you can, in just a few buttons, like hit a fork button, you get your fork. You load the file, you hit edit. After you edit, you hit commit and give it a message. And then, boom, you go hit the pull request button and you're done, right? You never had to get clone it locally or anything. So I love it for that. However, any code change, like, you know, I'm sorry, but if you haven't run a test, if you haven't at least launched the tool, I mean, if you went and actually wrote code code based out of this little web-based editor thing, yeah, you're in for a world of hurt from the when you do that pull request, you know. No, it's good It's good for the little, you know, you, you take a look on the website and, oh, crap, you managed to misspell something and you didn't catch it, you know, or, or you're browsing around and you notice some small little documentation change or some other little change in someone else's, you know, repo. Yeah. And you can you can you know bing bang boom and you're done. Yeah, no, I know I have not submitted small like typographical fixes to documentation because it would have required me to go clone out the directory and find the documentation and submit it and push it and all that and I was like eh never mind <laughs> the, the typo's not that bad too much effort but at this point I think there's really no no reason for it and I know with Bookie I'm going to be pushing people like hey you know you can help with the documentation so easy now you know get out there and do it so man web-based editing uh editing tools and stuff is kind of all the rage right now very cool stuff so what's this 
that you've got here. All right, HTTP re- requests for humans. That sounds kind of uh, freaky. Every, you know, I figure pro- everyone's probably heard about it by now because it's, it's, it got a talk at um, Pi Ohio. It's been all over the interwebs, but um, every Python user knows that when you go to make a web request out of your Python code, you either import URL lib or URL lib two, um, or if you're really or HTTP lib or HTTP lib two. <laughs> Or if you're not really that I've been hurting, down this before, <laughs> you, you could definitely also use PyCurl um, and load that up. The problem is that on all these things, whenever I have to do it, I don't know about you, but I have to go hit the documentation. I can never keep That's straight which one to use and which syntax and which one and what API calls and all that. And, and what tries. the flow is and what it expects first. And it's like, okay, do I need an open, then a request, then or is it you know open, right. then prime the pump, then do this, then yeah, <laughs> exactly. It drives me nuts. This <laughs> is a really great library with an API that just makes sense. Like you just do, you know, request.get and give it a URL and boom, you got it, right? One line, no, you know, there's not a lot to it. When you get your you know, result back, you can do, you know, result.content and you get the page content. You know, result.status and you get the stat. I mean, it's the API to it just makes so much sense that when I was working on the API f- updates for Bookie, I sat with the IPython window open making test API calls right from IPython, typing it out using requests. And I'm like, I'm never going back. This is that's this awesome. Is way, way too awesome to, to use. So I definitely want to say it doesn't do everything. I think you actually hit a use case where it didn't. I want to do resume. Um, right, right, right. For for downloads that don't necessarily complete in that, and I don't think it'll do that. Right. But if you're just doing API calls, you're doing authentication calls, you're sending post data, you're, um, I mean, anything like that, I tell you what, it is well worth the third-party package download to go get requests, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. It's it change, changes the way I do things. It's crazy. Well, especially, you know, like stuff like PyCurl and that, you know, I, I I remember curl from long, long time ago, but it just seems like there's a lot of effort to try and get integrated into Python. And this just it just yeah, it, it looks so completely easy, yeah, and ready to go. And you're and it does basic auth right out of the box, which is awesome. You know, because right. I don't know how many times easy. you've had to figure out doing basic auth. Right, it's totally easy. It's not seven lines of Python code to do you know to do a request with auth and some post data. It, I mean, it's still literally like one you know one one call still with a couple of dictionaries it's i don't know much much nicer definitely check it out Potato times, meat and potato times. <laughs> Pie Ohio rocked. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> there, it was. Quit copying me. Um, so uh, we wanted to kind of recap what went on at Pie Ohio besides the fact that it was awesome because it was. Now, the, the way it goes down is, you know, we, we all get down there, head down there Friday. Then there's talks Saturday and Sunday. There's lightning talks. There's sprints. The sprints go on after the talks in the evening. Um, 
They also have sprints on Monday, too. Yeah, they also have Monday sprints, which I tell you what, next year I think I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to take take the extra day off and, yeah? and do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm dying. You know, I had so much fun sprinting. I was disappointed I only was there to sprint on Saturday. Yeah. Um, it, it was just so awesome. We'll get to that, though. But what I wanted to go through is, like, really what the goals and going were. You know, for me, I think was maybe a little bit different than some other people going down there because I was going down to talk about Escalacomi. That was like my primary mission with a secondary mission of trying to see if I could get a sprint on Bookie going and how that might go and get some good feedback and all that. But I ended up loving a lot of the talks. I didn't really think I would. Yeah, no, there were a lot of really, really good talks. And a lot of talks that, unfortunately, were back-to-back with other talks that I wanted to go to as well. And, I, you know, it's it's... It's cliche that, you know, at a small conference and that you're going to get a lot of overlap in that, but I'm I'm talking, like, major overlap. Yeah. Like, one of them was the, the Python and the... Someone installed Python on a uh, Atari 52... Or, uh, not 5200, <laughs> um, 520 ST or an ST model like that. Yeah. And I was like, that was, that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, that was back-to-back with another talk that I wanted to go to. No, it was it was good. It was like 250, I think, was the final tally of people that attended. So it's getting decent numbers. I mean, it started out at like what 60, 70 people when we first the first. It was year. it was a bunch of people in a library conference hall. Yeah. Initially, one room, one room conference. One room, yeah, no breaks. <laughs> yeah, and now and now we're killing it. So um, some of the better talks I think I really liked. Um, because I'm working on an API for Bookie, the API talks were really interesting to me. Um, the evolving an internal web service talk given from the guys at FreshBook was awesome. They had a lot of great details on how they migrated out of their old, you know, their old application stack, which was just kind of gotten to be a mess, into a great new stack where there's like a central API that everything external uses, whether it's backend systems, client systems, front-end systems, you know, uh, just everything all talks to the, all the data through this one, like, API system. And I just love that because I've been preaching that at work for a while, that everything we build should have an API, right? Because six months later, when I need to do a new app and I want to build off of some of the stuff that your app does, I should be able to hook into it and start making API calls. And the way they kind of did that, where everything was an API, was just freaking awesome. Um, and they had some great scaling tips as far as how they scaled out their MySQL and their sharding. And uh, there's another SQL Alchemy talk. There were actually a lot of talks that talked about SQL Alchemy. I was really surprised and very proud <laughs> down there. I think a lot of people got in the message about I, SQL Alchemy. Must have. That one did. There was a talk about PHP to Python with no regrets where they were using SQL Alchemy, on, even though they were using Django, which floored me because that basically I thought that was kind of like against all the Django rules. You'd be ostracized by the Django community for doing that. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> um, I went to the uh, Panda 3D talk, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Panda 3D is a Python game engine, uh, which allows you to easily import and use uh, 3D objects. Um, it does all the, the collision detection, does the camera work, and all that other kind of stuff. It was really, really interesting to see because uh, I've I've come from you know doing stuff with Pygame and SDL and that and so it was it was really nice to see something that was a little little higher level a little easier to use uh, and definitely able to present some really awesome results with a little amount of code. 
Yeah, you had some pretty little 3D animation things going on down there. In yeah, the demos were awesome. <laughs> in between the talks, you're like, hey, look, it's a walking Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, hey, no. it's a it's a carousel with a whole bunch of things going around on it. Yeah, I mean, it's like it was really, really neat stuff. Very cool. And then there was Aspen, uh, the Aspen framework, which mm. we went to, which was, I don't know. I I got the feeling that it's it's combining all the wonderful things that people don't necessarily like about PHP with the awesomeness of Python. No, the thing that the Aspen guy, I you know what, I give him an uh, A for originality with a few points. Um, but I just don't think it's anything I'm going to be using anytime soon. It doesn't yeah. jump out with. I mean, the main advantage of it was the fact that your URLs matched up to disks, so you could see like. If the URL had this in it, that was the directory structure you had to go walk in order to get it. Um, but I'm really, I'm sorry, I don't care. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been caught up by trying to find something that was, you know, mapped out in, in a URL on a system that I didn't really know right off the yeah. bat. But and, no. and you know, it, that's a that's a pretty hefty price to pay. <laughs> yeah, for that kind of for that kind of functionality. Let's see the the interesting. Um, so <laughs> the air conditioning died out on a nice hot summer day down in uh, Columbus. Yay! <laughs> uh, they gave out free ice cream to everyone to help make up for it, and they supplied like three standing fans for ten rooms. Which is uh, nice. Uh, yeah, that was nice, except for the fact that it happened during my talk, and my talk was an hour of presentation followed by an hour of hands-on time. And when I said I was done presenting, everyone decided that they needed to seek cooler pastures, which I think everyone needed to do. <laughs> it was yes. desperate. Um, so that didn't quite go as well as I had hoped. Um, but I did, like the next day, I had a couple people that were like, oh, I'm working on you know the hands-on code that you've given out. I mean, I got it out to everybody. I think the material went over well enough and all that. So um, I'd love to hear if you were in the talk what your feedback was on it. Um, <laughs> put a lot of work into it, hoping it would cover <laughs> two hours, and I was kind of uh, kind of disappointed when it all kind of fell apart due to the uh, the lack of AC. Yeah, yeah, I know. We we wandered back over to the hotel during that, so sorry. Yeah, no, I, you know, if it wasn't my talk, and I wasn't, I mean, there were seven people I think that stayed, and I want to thank them very much for suffering <laughs> <laughs> through and and working on stuff. Um, but what are you, what are you gonna do? I also have to say sorry because I missed uh, Ben's talk on Django <laughs> and EC2. Why he's or Google? Sorry, I'm going to screw up this title here real quick for everyone. Uh, Django and, and Google App Engine. Why I'm using Flask and Amazon EC2 is the name of the talk. And uh, I saw the video and it was very entertaining. Um, <laughs> he did good. a little risque. <laughs> he did good. I roped him into yeah. giving a presentation and uh, I helped him, you know, push on the topic there. And he did good with it. You know, Pi Ohio is great because if you've never spoken at a conference before or anything, it is the best first one to do. It yeah. really is. You can get in there. You can get away with. You know, I don't want to say you can get away with, but it just you don't you don't. It's a good learning ground. Get some practice. I think everyone you know should take a shot and do that. So I was proud of him for going down there. It had some good material. It had some good thought provoking. There were a lot of comments afterwards. Um, discussing how App Engine has changed recently, that might change some of his mind with some of the things, you know. Um, basically, you know, a lot of it was opinion. He he likes the way micro frameworks work, and Flask 
fits that bill for him very nicely. Oh yeah. You know, and I we've all been there. I, I've got some stuff that I do with the flasks, things that I do with pyramid and um, you know pylons, and so I understand there's a there's a gamut of you know tools that can meet the need at hand. You know, so definitely some cool stuff happening down there. Um, there's also the uh, the fabric talk by Morgan Goose, uh, yeah. which is pretty interesting. Yeah, he's a good guy. He uses it mainly for system administration stuff, which the one thing I want to get across to everybody, because afterwards people were like, oh, it's for sysadmin stuff. It's not. It's not just for sysadmin stuff. That's his use case, but it can really be used for anything. I actually use it on straight software per project basis. Um, if you go check out Bookie, when you download it and you start doing things like running these fab commands to actually bootstrap your database to start it, run through all the database migrations and all that, that's all done from Fabric. And that's that's not really sysadmin-y, you know, kind of things for it. So Yeah, it's like make files on steroids with SSH capability. And Python code prettiness. Exactly. <laughs> Good stuff. But yeah, so the uh, the evening ended out a little bit better. We ended up with, uh, heading to the sprints. And uh, it was kind of cool because Bookie kind of took over the sprints the first night. Um there were about, I don't know, what did we get up to? It's about a dozen people. Yeah. At least. Yeah, 10 or 11 people that were working um, on getting Bookie installed, going through the documentation. Um, we had some spotty network, which makes installing a ton of packages from PIP a little bit of a challenge. So that, That's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that caused a few headaches throughout the evening, for sure. Um, and you know what? I got a lot of good feedback on the documentation for installing needs and needed a lot of work. And I, I pushed some of that out actually last night. And uh, it, it was it was cool, though. We, we had uh, a couple people got it installed. A couple people found it interesting. Um, one guy worked on a patch that he finished up and did a pull request the next morning off of. So. That was Dave Bronzma who did that. Yeah. So he's, he's a uh, rock star. Out, out Source Forge. Yeah, he was awesome. Like, he... I was kind of floored when I looked at what he actually had done because I thought the stuff he would do would be a little more confusing because I use Mako templates where they inherit functions from a, a certain file and all that, and I, it takes a little bit of tracing to find where stuff is done at. And he found it, made some you know tweaks to it, and got things going. I thought, awesome. Yeah, and it's very interesting, too, to see the differences. I mean, we, we, we Ubuntu slash Linux users take a lot of things for granted yeah. about how our environments are set up and that. And it's very interesting to see how other people's machines like Windows and, and Macintosh machines yeah, we don't necessarily conform <laughs> to, to the, uh, the way that we think things should conform. So that was interesting yeah. watching folks install that. But I want to thank everyone that came out and tried out. I got some really good feedback. I've, I've done a lot of work since then. I've actually been just grindstoning on Bookie since we got back from uh, from Pi, Ohio. One of the big things that came out was there was a talk um, about creating uh, APIs that are a joy to use. And it made me realize that my current API uh, implementation in Bookie was all wrong. <laughs> it needed It needed to be redone from scratch, basically. And so I've just actually got through pushing that out to the live site um, last night, or no, night before last, uh, last couple days, and much, much, much happier with where I'm at with things, and I have to say that that was a good talk. I recommend that you go check it out. Um, what's nice about PyOhio is all the videos are online. If you go to python.mirocommunity.org. Yeah. Um, the videos are there. They're up. 
Um, if you're interested in helping, they're trying to close caption them so they can uh, actually like play them when there's no sound and stuff like that. Um, my talk is up there. Basically, all of them are, including lightning talks and everything. So if you missed out, definitely go check out the videos. There's some really good stuff in there to see. Cool stuff. So go next year. Get in early. Get down there and get some presentations going on. The material just keeps getting better and better every year. Um, I can't wait to see what we get out of uh, Pi Ohio, a local Python conference next year. All right, so Craig, I think we're gonna wrap this one up. Okay. Sounds so, like a plan to me. Everybody out there, you have a mission. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know what you think about the little bit of a content shift towards a more heavier developer side. Obviously, being web developer, Python developer, and such, those are the kinds of language and ideas you'll get. However, if you've looked at things like Rick's rants and some of the other material, a lot of the concepts uh, kind of apply globally, right? So. Being a good developer, tips and tricks with that are, you know, pretty constant. The other thing I'd want to try to do in the future is to look at doing some interviews with people that have some small projects or things that can kind of provide some personal insight. I think we've all got that small side project that we, we've always wanted to do or we've kind of hacked on here or there but never gets anywhere. Um, and some people actually somehow they manage to get stuff working and out there and things. And I think it'd be interesting to kind of get a little bit of motivational ideas and from those people that have managed to get their side project off the ground uh, and maybe some tips and tricks on how they managed to organize things and get some things out like that. So if you have anything like that, feel free to send us uh, an email at feedback at lococast.net. Kind of what your project is, um, what you were working on, what you know hurdles you had to overcome and how you did those. And we'll try to see about doing the occasional interview on some of those in the future. Well, and to be clear, too, we're not, you know, necessarily abandoning Ubuntu or anything like that. You know, we're not going to talk about it. It's just we're not. We're changing the focus. Well, we're <laughs> changing the focus just a little bit because, you know, we are developers. Yeah. And and we enjoy development in that. And I think, you know, following following more of a developer path on the show, and because really, you know, that was that was what the whole show came about was, you know, we're we're both developers. We talk and we talk at length. We talk a lot, and we get heated discussions about stuff. So that was, you know, the whole one of the whole premises for the show was just two guys talking about developer stuff. So no, but I know we've definitely tried to make sure we didn't weren't too developer-y before. The passwords thing was the most I think we had gotten, and I think we're going to head down more of that path. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, and hopefully, we'll have a new episode out for you in a couple of weeks. Till next time, I'm Rick Harding. I'm Craig Maloney. And I did this whole show without my fucking microphone. <laughs> I just realized that. Yeah, same thing you had that one time where you're. You know, you know what? It's, it was close <laughs> enough I, because with the new video and stuff, I. Yeah. I just figured it was all right. Oh, oh well. well. <laughs>